Okay, so um, we were we were discussing Howard Stern and how he's hard on people that uh, if you haven't made it by a certain age, then you haven't made you, you'll never make it. And I always think of this director, Louise Benwell. In the last two months, I've watched 16 of his movies. So that should tell you. Jesus Christ. That's no lie. That is no lie. But anyway, so Louise Benwell was born in Spain in the year 1900. And he did not make his first feature-length film until 1949. And so, he was oh, four, wow. so he was 49 years old. Now, he had made a few short films uh, with Salvador Dali. In the 1930s, uh, because they were both part of the Dada movement with like Man Ray. Oh, the people that melted clocks. Exactly. The people that were like surrealists and they took surrealism to like this whole new level. And as far as my money goes, I don't know if we'll ever, anybody will ever hear this, but anybody who's into David Lynch uh, enjoys his films. Um, he's sort of like uh, the king of the surreal as far as the cinema goes right now. Um, and painting, I guess, if you want to go that far. But um, before him, it was Luis Bunuel, and you have got to check him out. He made films in Spain, Mexico, one film in the United States, and France. And he definitely didn't start in his younger years. He was like probably in his late 20s when him and Dolly started experimenting with short films. And their most famous one is Un Chien Andalou. I think I'm saying that right. And uh, Rob, I'm sure if you haven't seen this short film, you've at least seen this image from the film. Is It looks like they're going to cut a woman's eye with a razor blade. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when they go in for the close-up, it's actually a, a, a cow's eyeball. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. That, that actress uh, was uh, not really a good time for uh, the method acting. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, or good time for cattle. But has yeah. it ever been a really good time for cattle in America? Another Never. topic for another time. We're gonna talk about that uh, next time. And Freddy yeah. and Freddy Five. Well, in the off season when we can't talk about uh, a series of films, maybe we'll just talk about that. What happened? You had quite a nasty bomb. I gotta get out of here. No, no, no. You stay put. You need your rest. You don't get it. He's after me. It's okay, honey. Welcome to Pumpkin Spice Podcast, Episode 4. Glad to be here, Rob. This has been great. I mean, I have made a few podcasts in my day, but I have not heard as much positive feedback as I've been hearing from this. So I hope that everyone's enjoying their, you know, autumn seasonal treat that's yeah. coming from you and I. Yeah, and I just want to point this out. Like, Rob is a professional. Rob has been doing this for years, and he sounds great, and he's like the best host ever. I am very new to this. So, um, <laughs> yeah, like, this is like, uh, yeah, I'm very, very new to this. So, well, that's, give that's me a chance here. We'll, we'll get there. I do want to say before we start that I was actually asked to be on another podcast as a guest just yesterday for an episode that's going to drop on Halloween where I got to talk about. Dream Warriors episode or number three in the Nightmare series. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Again, the fan favorite. Yeah, and I think I need to at least throw them a plug, don't you think? Throw it, 
Throw it out there, man. It's called Fix a Flick, where they just have a guest on. They talk about a film that they like, but they feel like they could make better. Obviously, you you get the point there. The first half is me talking about the film. The second half is what I would do differently about the film. I touched on a few things that you and I touched on in episode three, but uh, I really changed up a few things that I feel like would make it uh, a little more exciting. You you changed up your your opinions of the film? No, 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 no. I changed a few scenes that I would think Oh, I see I what think you're would make the film better. Oh, cool, cool. Oh, okay. And uh, with an unlimited budget, so. Well, I can't wait to hear that. And I can tune in on uh, Halloween October 31st. Yeah, they're going to drop it on the 31st. It's on iTunes. It's on pretty much everything that you can find this show on. iTunes, Google Play, you know, they got a Facebook page, that sort of stuff. Um, before we get started though, I want to just Ask people to give us a little review on iTunes. It helps us bump up in the ranks. And uh, if you'd like, check out our Patreon page. Every sort of uh, new post that we have goes there. We're using it as our website. And if you donate a buck, uh, you can call us, or we can call you, uh, our employer. Uh, But you don't have to donate anything if you don't want to. But you can at least go there to see updates. That is absolutely correct. Graham, you ready for this? Absolutely, Rob. Now, Rob. Okay, so we're in Nightmare 4, The Dream Master. I'm a fan of Nightmare 4 for probably all of the ridiculous reasons. Yes, yes, the follow-up the, the follow to the hit movie uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors. Now, where we left off, uh, highest grossing movie. And now, after three, this series went in an incredibly different direction because Nancy's dead. Nancy ain't coming back. Yeah, that's true. Um, I also want to point out, it's the highest grossing in the series thus far. But, um, yes, you're correct. Uh, Nancy is dead and Wes is gone. He He's sort of uh, done with the series at this point. So, it's time to wipe the slate clean. And start all over. We've got a more of a focus on humor and entertainment in this one. Because making the film scary became a secondary goal. Yeah, that's right, Rob. And also, uh, Freddy sort of evolved to be like the protagonist of the series at this point. And he was given a lot more screen time, which, again, led in the direction of being less scary and more sort of pulpy and more humor. Well, and they had, you know, Rennie Harlan, he was a young director in comparison. And he really wanted to bring out the teenage vibe of the film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rennie Harlan is the man. And yeah, absolutely, Rob. He was directing this film towards the the MTV generation. A year previous, um, he did a film called Prison, which starred a young Viggo Mortensen. And it is absolutely great. I love that movie. And you can see after watching Prison why he was hired to do Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4. After he was hired after practically begging, though. Yeah, he would show up to New Line and just wait in their lobby, sort of Rupert Pumpkin style. If you know what I'm talking about there, you rule. But finally, they just like didn't have anyone else. They're like, oh yeah, call that tall dude from Finland. He can direct this film. Well, yeah, ultimately they had like such little time to produce this film. And they knew it was going to be really stressful and like physically exhausting for the director. So they just hired a young, physically fit, uh, 6'5", guy from finland 
And uh, he later went on to direct things like Die Hard 2 and Cutthroat Island. Yeah, um, if you don't know, Cutthroat Island is one of the biggest box office bombs of all time. It was a good, you know, almost a decade before you could do pirate movies again after after Rooney got a hold of the genre. After Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, he did a movie called The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Um, and this is also a really interesting specimen of cinema. It stars Andrew Dice Clay, who at the time was like America's, like one of America's biggest comedians. He's like one of these guys that sold out Madison Square Garden three nights in a row. Um, but he's a total, like in my opinion, like hack comedian. And the fact that he stars in this film is is super hilarious to me. The Adventures of Ford Fairlane kind of encapsulates all of like the decadent and deviant behavior of the 1980s. Um, and it's just such an interesting film. And what's even more interesting is Warner Brothers was uh, watching the dailies of the film, and they were so impressed, they gave Rennie Harlan the keys to direct Die Hard 2. Jesus, that's how he got to direct Die Hard 2? Yeah, yeah, because of The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, which is a huge box office bomb. All right, let's get back into Nightmare 4. Let's go old cast versus new cast. So Patricia Arquette is not in Nightmare 4, and she's recast. The character Kristen is recast by the actress Tuesday Night. Tuesday Night. Very cool Hollywood name. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But she has no chemistry. She's very monotone and doesn't actually hold the same character that Patricia Arquette did with Kristen. No, she's nothing like uh, Patricia Arquette. She's a uh, she's a stick in the mud. She does this weird thing at the beginning where she's having a nightmare and pulls Kincaid and Joey into her dream, and they're like, "You can't do this anymore," as if she's been doing it a whole bunch, which isn't, which also isn't in the character of Kristen. No, she wouldn't misuse uh, her gift, right? Her dream gift or her dream power. Um, and when they do have that reunion, Rob, there is no chemistry whatsoever. And no one says pussy. You know what? Dude, that is what's really missing from number four. And honestly, Kincaid is one of my favorite... He's probably, if I had to say right now, right this very instant, he is my favorite dream warrior. And how long does he survive? In uh, part four, Rob? Longer than I thought, but not past 20 minutes in the film. Yeah, um, it's almost as if they take these characters that survive number three, only to kill them off as quickly as possible in number four. And Rob, would you like to talk about how they resurrect Freddy in this movie? Oh, yeah. um, (laughs) Kincaid's at the junkyard, where they buried Freddy's bones in hollowed ground in three. Joey's dog runs over lifts his leg, pisses fire, and then Freddy's resurrected. Just a clever little plot twist there. I don't know if it's exactly clever, but it's really interesting, and it turned out to be one of the most memorable scenes of the franchise. I mean, if I get to talking with people about Nightmare on Elm Street and they know the series really well, that's one of the first things that will come up. Well, and I was being sarcastic. It just seems like there's no reason. It's like, what do we do? We want to keep teens' attention. Let's have the dog piss on it. 
It's charming. It's a, it's a charming little idea. Uh, it's a takeaway. And it's it shows you what's going on in the mind of Rennie Harlan. We're going to keep on going back to Rennie Harlan throughout this episode, I'm, I'm sure. Brilliant man. Brilliant but man. He, Does he do Long Kiss Goodnight as well? Uh, yes, he did. And Excellent. Love that movie. And I just wanted to say real quickly, Rob, and again, we'll be going back and forth on Rennie Harlan, but in between Die Hard 2 and Cutthroat Island, he did a little gym called Cliffhanger. Oh. With Sylvester Stallone. Yes. Yeah, so there you go. Love the cliffhanger spoof in Ace Ventura 2. Old cast is killed off almost immediately. Although it may take 20 minutes, they're really only in about two or three scenes. But you can kind of tell that Robert England... I mean, he's in it, he gets it, but maybe this is the weird hump day version of movies for him. Well, I think Robert looked at the script and goes, man, this is dog shit compared to the other scripts. This is not very good. What he wasn't prepared for is how Rainey was going to wow us visually. And there are some really interesting visual gags. So in Nightmare 4, we start off with a young woman walking in a uh, what seems to be a Freddy-like nightmare. She's very scared. It's the creepy house that we're all familiar with. We have no idea what's going on, yet no signs of Freddy. There's no signs of Freddy whatsoever. She sees a boiler, gets freaked out, and then calls to Kincaid and Joey, who we are familiar with from Nightmare 3. They get brought into the dream and then refer to this woman as Kristen, letting us all realize, oh, Patricia Arquette is not in this movie, and this is Kristen. Yeah, we wouldn't have known unless they said Kristen in the film. They eventually, all three die, but before Kristen can die, she passes on her powers to Alice, this shy, timid girl that they had befriended right before they were killed. She sort of takes Kristen's spot as the main heroine in the film. She becomes the main target for Freddy, and her and her brother Rick and their friend Debbie have to take on uh, Freddy and try to survive yet another episode on Elm Street. Now, there's a lot of like cool things that happen in this. Like we said before, this is a very MTV version of a Freddy movie. But it just is lacking something. And I think that's uh, a fully-fledged script, for one, and a depth of character. Seems like there's a lot of phoning it in. Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 really lacks the talent from Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, which had, you know, great young actors. And I think when you're casting that young, you, you can't really rely on talent because they don't have that much life experience. So you, you kind of cast on personality. And the characters in number three had great personalities and were all just kind of quirky, awesome characters. Whereas number four, they're kind of drab, and it, it just feels like they're playing it by the numbers. And well, really- not to mention, they also throw in these things about like the, the star of the football team, you know, and Alice has a crush on him, and like huge tropes that don't need to necessarily be in an already like trope-like movie, if that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah, 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 it is. One thing we need to bring up, Graham, before we get to Freddy's death in this film is the fact that like not only does Alice get Kristen's power she starts getting powers from everyone else that dies and they aren't even really powers it's just that like her brother Rick knew how to do karate so she now knows how to do karate and Debbie lifted weights yeah and it doesn't make much sense that by 
getting Kristen's power, now she can absorb powers from anyone else. It was just a, a very convenient system for her to start fighting Freddy at the end of the film. Well, the no-brainer is, and sh- shouldn't Freddy absorb those powers since he killed them? He gets stronger with every soul of the children he takes. But then, how does Kristen get more powerful like I just think that all that power should go to Freddy since he's the exactly it's a fun movie but doesn't make any sense yeah don't it's sort of like a uh, Christopher Nolan movie in the sense that you can enjoy it even though it has uh, plot holes although Christopher Nolan's plot holes are nowhere near this size well and Freddy does wear sunglasses in this one yeah, Freddie becomes James Bond. He becomes like this super pop culture character that uh, everybody knows and loves. And when you take Freddie out of the shadows, it's just not scary anymore. Freddie on a beach chasing a girl with a bikini is is a funny postcard. But as a, as a horror film, uh, it, it does not work at all. We talked about how the dog pees and brings Freddy back to life, but Graham, how do they how do they kill Freddy in this one? How does he go away? I believe it's they hold a mirror up to him and he sees how ugly he is and then he sort of rips himself apart and all of the kid's hands like come out of his like chest and, and stomach and like rip his face apart. In my opinion, number one will have the best kill of all time. It's just like this cool little moment that Nancy has with Freddy at the end of the film. And she says, I don't have any fear in you. And he sort of disappears in like this rotoscoped cool little way. And I think that's sort of like a great little metaphor for like how you deal with your own like problems. You know, you kind of face your fears, look it right in the face and say, I'm not scared of you. And you sort of press on and go your way, you know, where that sort of leaves you like, full of power and just like you feel like uplifted after watching that first one you're ready to go out into the theater and survive freddy these ones are just like there's it's just kind of a special effects extravaganza and i do love the live action special effects that are put into this you know the 1980s were sort of a renaissance of live action special effects but there's no harder soul to it it's just a bunch of animatronics that look great but it's not a story. Yeah, let's talk about a couple of other things in here that really stuck out at us. One of mine is the robot arm coming out of the desk. Yeah, and you need to know, before that robot robot arm comes out of that desk, what's carved into the desk, to me, was hysterical and sort of set the tone for this is a goofy movie and not a horror film. And do you remember what was carved on that desk? I do not. Go into it. Uh, it said, learning is fun with Freddy. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. How no, that you... wasn't in the desk. That's on the test. That's on the test. But the, yeah. writes, he yes. writes it on the test. Yes, learning is fun with Freddy. And um, when I was in high school, uh, a friend of mine really loved that movie as much as I did. And he would always, he carved learning is fun uh, with Freddy in the desk and he got in, in school suspension for that and that's a true story God, Graham this is what people tune into this show for the yeah. true stories the true stories the true stories that someone was so affected by this film that they had to to write that on a desk and I know that they got rid of the desk but I, it was always my dream that they would that, that that desk still was like in this back basement closet you know like <laughs> it's still there like they never threw it out and it could possibly be used you know if they were short on desk you'd have to drag out this one and would say learning is fun with Freddie and people would not these new millennials would not understand that 
New Millennials. I love that band. Okay, <laughs> let's keep going. A lot of times, Graham, we talk about our favorite deaths or the best deaths. I'd like you to go into a little bit of detail on the lamest and the worst death. If you want to see the lamest death in any of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, the one to go to is number four. And it's the death of Rick, and he gets kung fu kicked by Freddy Krueger. The only thing that's missing from that scene is, Rob? Freddy Krueger. He is not in the scene. It is, the I think, the only death in the Nightmare on Elm Street series where Freddy is not present. And it's an invisible Freddy. Rick is fighting this invisible Freddy and he's just getting his ass kicked. And it's a scene that you could film in your backyard for a dollar and fifty cents. It's literally this actor thrusting around and acting like he's getting hit by Freddy and then he dies. And that's it. It now, is I will so say, lame. I will say Tina's death in number one there is no Freddy but it's not lame because there's like blood dripping on the wall and the room's traveling around and she's not in control like Rick is in this one. Oh, you bring up a good point. Okay, you've corrected me. That is absolutely correct. I thought that was the only scene where he wasn't present, but no. Now, when they do the skin the cat trick in number seven, he is present, but whatever. We'll get we'll get. We can talk to that. Now, since we talked about the lamest desk this time, I want to talk about one of the coolest ideas and segments that have actually been in a Nightmare film, and that's the dream loop. And it's pretty innovative, don't you think? Yeah, um, so basically the time scene, our character Alice, she keeps going in circles, basically. She'll start a scene at the diner, and then she'll go somewhere. A couple scenes later, she'll be at that diner starting again, and after like the fourth time, she says, wait a minute, I've, I've been here like four times, what's going on? And it's pretty great, and we'll let you watch the movie to see the more specific details on that, because it's one of those scenes that, although you get it as an audience member... Watching it happen is still fulfilling. It's uh, it's one of Rennie Harlan's uh, best scenes I think he's ever directed. Well, it's even better than uh, that cannonball scene in Cutthroat Island. Yeah, or that swashbuckling scene. Last episode, we talked about Dawkins and the Dream Warriors theme song. There is an amazing song in this movie. And it is a team-up from two musicians that I didn't realize worked together on this song. I was just listening to this scene going, I kind of dig this tune, and I looked it up. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, um, I think you're talking about the Fat Boys, right? No, I am not, actually. Okay, well, let me th- let me second that with saying you're talking about Cinema Verte. No, I am not. Oh, my gosh, I'm two, I'm two for ze- I'm zero for two. Um, well, then what is it? The song is called I Want Your parentheses hands on me and that is by Sinead O'Connor and MC Light oh my gosh I totally forgot about that song it is honestly with everything you know how fashion takes like 20 year trends and then they come back and that's why for some reason people are listening to Pearl Jam again now I tell you people are going to be listening to this song again and it is really amazing I actually suggested it to a couple of my DJ friends to start playing in clubs really oh my gosh well I'll be listening to it after we uh, end this episode so yeah, the Fat Boys did a song specifically for the film, and it's called uh, "What Now, Rob?" Are you ready for Freddy? 
Now, Graham, tell me, what do we have to look forward to next episode? I'm going to tell our audience right now, I personally think number five is the worst film in uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Let me give you a, just a brief little teaser to that. Freddy Krueger has unprotected sex and has a baby. It's a boy. What the fuck were they thinking? That being said, it's got a little bit of the best and a little bit of the worst. Maybe more of the worst. Yeah, but a lot of the worst. A lot of the worst. But I think it has one of the most inventive and just really well-executed special effects sequence. It's it's haunting. It's really cool. It's something you, you can just wrap your mind around. Um, and if you have any reason to watch number five, it's that. Okay, great. Graham, thanks so much again. I just want to direct people to our Google Play page, our Patreon page, our iTunes page. Do whatever you can to share this. It would really help us out. Go to those things. Discover more about Graham. He's from the Austin Film Society. About me, Rob Schulte. I live here in New York, and I produce podcasts and other radio and audio projects. Whatever. You can look me up. I'm more boring than Graham. And we'll be there to hold your hand through number five. I'm telling you, it's going to be a rough ride, but Rob and I are going to make the best of it. Yeah, five will be good for our audience, but it'll be bad for you and I to have to watch the film again. We're just teasing this up so much. Let me just say one last thing okay. to let the audience know how fucked up number five is. I don't know if you remember, there was an early poster uh, before the official poster came out for Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5. And it was a cigar that was being held by the Freddy Claude Fingers. And it had, it's a boy. Oh, that was Jesus. that was the tagline. So, it's, so look forward to Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child. Topeka Bodega. Topeka Bodega. Topeka Bodega. Topeka Bodega. That actually really helps. That's yeah, no bullshit. I'm telling you, man, it really does. I remember Topeka I graduated with my Bodega. degree in theater, so I had to do that shit. Well, it it they don't you know they don't they don't do it for nothing. That's so. true. They do it for a lot of money to get a degree that you're not going to use that well. <laughs> <laughs>